Welcome to the All Thought is Black Thought podcast. I'm G. And I'm O. And this is the Black Thought for today. Libidinal economy, the crack white people are smoking. People are asking, where do Karens come from? And why are they coming out of the woodwork? You know what I'm talking about when I say Karens and their male counterparts, who I call Chads. These are typically white or white looking people caught on camera exposing how little black lives matter, throwing racist temper tantrums and acting like people who are high on the crack cocaine of white entitlement and anti-blackness, seeing themselves as being harmed or attacked by a black person who far from harming or attacking them is always calmly filming because as Slick Rick said it, this type of shit happens every day, right? Karens and Chads, have only become a thing on social media within the last few years during incidents like the Lemonade Stand Becky incident in which a white woman was recorded calling the police on a black child selling lemonade without a permit. These are incidents in which minor violations of the civic code like a child selling lemonade or someone selling barbecue in public or even non-events at all are simply elevated into violent, often deadly encounters when a nosy white neighbor calls the police. Now the the Karen video as a genre of documentary film seems to have temporarily broken some component of the collective white psyche. And uh, basically it embarrasses white people to see themselves this way. It's uh, There's a part of the white psyche that I can call maybe the liberal humanist in them that says, hey, all people are created equal. I'm just on top as a white person because I deserve it. Now, with just a little prodding from these Karen videos, you can see white people will basically uh, are basically telling you where they really are. They're the ones positioned outside of the concentration camp barbed wire. They're the ones positioned on the deck side of the slave ship. They're the ones positioned on the trigger side of the gun that won the West. They might not care if we expose them in this way forever, but, you know, at least not denying it can help clarify which of them is committed to being a Nazi. Now, when I was growing up, the thing that they're calling the Karen now, it was just called white people being white people. White people called the police on me in my own neighborhood. That's a common thing that happened to pretty much every black person I've known ever. And all all throughout my childhood, this is what happened. And I grew up hearing stories about people like Emmett Till and other black men and boys accused by white women and then tortured and murdered by white male lynchers. So I knew instantly what people meant by Becky and Karen and Chad. But wait, here comes the age of social media and two things arise. One, we decided to start calling white people who do this kind of shit Karens. And two, the Karen video became a social media sensation. I mean it too. It's a motherfucking sensation, man. Like dead ass, we need to start nominating people for Karen and Chad awards. Best videography, worst liar, ugliest cry most likely to set off a slave rebellion if we circulated enough. All that, right? Unfortunately, we ain't got no money to give the awardees, but, you know, maybe we can cast a light on some some folks who are doing the right things and cast some shade on some folks who are doing fuckery. So if you've ever had uh, rats and roaches, you know that they scatter when the lights come on, right? You might see glimpses of them, but it's only for a brief second. 
after that second with, is over with, you could almost convince yourself that they were never there, right? If you were really committed or really high on something like crack cocaine, you might overlook the signs that are right in front of you. The tiny bite marks on the bread, the hole in the bag of cereal, and is that some extra raisins over there on the kitchen table? But even when they hide from you, you still have a rat and roach problem. They're just hidden behind the walls. And even there, they're still busy at work day and night. Rats and roaches are still part of the truth of your household, even when your eyes lie and tell you you don't have a rat problem and tell you that those rat turds on the table are probably just large raisins. This is sort of how the psyche works. The unconscious thoughts you have are really there, but they scatter once the light comes on and once they're exposed, right? Uh, and so that, so that they can remain hidden. And you might think that they were never there. Sigmund Freud, the, the psychoanalyst, spoke about the, the primary process, the moments when our unconscious desires, fears, drives manifest fully, right? And then the secondary process, the moments when our ego covers over the primary process with a nice big smiley face after the lights have been turned on. Say somebody accidentally trips you and your first impulse is the stress re response of breaking your fall and making sure that they aren't attacking you, right? Once you see that it's an accident, maybe the person apologizes and helps you recover, you might smile and say, oh, it's all right, just watch where you're going, we're good. That unconscious part of you that just came out without you, without you planning, without you thinking about it, right, in an instant, that unconscious part of you can come out in an instant ready to fight or flee, but then it tends to go back behind the walls. Now, Freud, for the most part, was talking about individuals, right? But pretty clearly, this stuff applies to large groups and societies, too. And the Karen video helps us see this about whiteness. Karen films are effective at reflecting back their roachly selves. And when they've been caught, they often go completely berserk with it. What we are seeing is the truth that 500 years of genocide and slavery have made white people rest assured at a deep psychic level that they are entitled to project the full spectrum of state violence onto black and indigenous people at any time, in any place, for any reason or no reason at all. That's the primary process that we are seeing about whiteness in these Karen videos. And it makes sense when we remember that whiteness is not actually a biological thing. Whiteness is not fundamentally an ethical, an, uh, sorry, it's not fundamentally an ethnic group or nationality or culture or a caste. Whiteness is a structural position, a social position reserved for settler colonizers and slaveholders and genociders that is maintained into the present day, even though it has become impolite to say that the current racial order is a settler colony or a slave plantation or a genocide. The first impulse shows what the most fundamental assumptions of whiteness are. Policing black people, even when it is utterly unnecessary to anything except to satisfy your fears, fantasies, and desires. The viral spread and acceptance of Karen and Chad videos shows us that the relevance of these videos hits home everywhere. Something about them is very relevant right now and is helping black people speak truths that we have long had to suppress in our lives in, in an anti-black world where any kind, of shit can any kind of shit can happen to you because of anti-blackness at any time. 
These videos help us spotlight the ways that we are viewed as criminals and threats everywhere we go simply because of who we are, not because of anything we've done. Of course, we black people appreciate the videos because they are speaking black people's truths, but white people are circulating them too, and not because they care particularly about our truths. We speak our truths all the damn time, and we're the only ones who listen. And we've been sharing uh, Karen videos and memes and stories with each other since forever, right? But the real reason these Karen videos are prominent right now is that they are showing white people the truth about themselves. That is, they are forcing white thought, the assumptions that come from knowing you can enslave people and genocide people and colonize people without them doing these things to you, now to finally, for white thought to finally have to answer to black thought. Black thought is turning on the lights and catching white people's roachly rat-like selves so many times that they find it almost impossible to ignore the obvious signs of the rat and roach problem bulging within the walls of their house. But, you know, everybody who's ever had a rat and roach problem knows that after a certain point, the light doesn't even phase those rats and roaches anymore unless they know they're going to get some consequences. That is why we have to get down to the nitty gritty of what Karen and Chad are so that we can administer some collective consequences and get free. And that's my black thought. All right. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot there. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> went on a little long. Yeah. <laughs> no, nah, not so much as long. It's just uh, really just sort of shows how complex uh, this moment is, right? They were going yeah. through uh, a moment where things are exposed for what they are, but not necessarily mm -hmm. uh, that this will turn into a transformational moment. Yeah. You know, I think it's exposing. Uh, so we've talked about libido economy before and the concept of libido. But, uh, you know, all of that in terms of it being related to a dream state or I think maybe even to understand it even better, a fantasy. Uh, yes. The fantasies that drives uh, human action. You know, when we think okay. about uh, anything that you see in the world uh, that's created by man, it starts with an idea. Every, the idea is the beginning of anything that uh, is manifested to us, uh, that you can touch, feel, uh, read, starts with an idea. So the idea of what uh, the non-white person is, the colonized person and the slave, that idea is what uh, you're pointing to in terms of how that fantasy transforms from an idea into violent action. And so these videos are capturing uh, the beginning of violence that has characterized uh, black life in America. The violence yeah. that, the violence that had, uh, created a genocide that, you know, where they attempted to destroy every native person in order so that they could have what we call America today and the Western hemisphere. So, uh, so yeah, it's complicated. And 
it's really important that we sort of focus in on uh, that fantasy and how that fantasy is weaponized uh, weaponized against uh, black people specifically in this instance, but against uh, non-white people around the world. So, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, the the original fantasy is that people, certain people, aren't people. Um, which is to say, um, racism, which is really to fundamentally talk about anti-blackness, because the the uh, you know the way I don't know if a lot of people know this, but you know we haven't been going around calling ourselves black uh, forever. We have been called black by many different people, you know, as an adjective and stuff like that. Uh, but but we we didn't invent blackness. Uh, blackness as we know it today. Uh, you know, in the America and sort of in, in the Americas and in sort of the global distribution of the last 500 years, blackness is basically, you know, when they took us with our complex ethnic, you know, tribal national selves, you know, the Congo, the you know, Iwe, the phone, the Fulani, the Yoruba, the Igbo, you know, all these different groups were taken and crammed into a process of capitalism called the middle passage. And then we went in on one side as Africans and then on the other side, we came out as black. We went in with all our different names and cultures and coordinated you know, coordinations, uh, sorry, co- coordinates and stuff like that on, on, on one end. And we came out on the other end, you know, fighting against our erasure, right? Retaining and holding on to our culture. But in terms of the larger societies that we were situated in uh, and, the, and the global structure that they created, Black people were basically treated as objects. That's not how we, you know, wanted it, or that's not how we, you know, we didn't simply allow it to happen. We were resisting it all the way, you know. But that is the way that a fantasy can be imposed on us. We don't even know, for the most part, what tribal, ethnic, eth- you know, ethno-national, you know, origins we had. Um, if uh, many of us are able to hold on to certain cultures and customs and things like that, but there's a whole lot that we have lost in the last 500 years as a result of that fantasy that erased us, that took us from being complex, you know, ethnic humans, you know, and just reducing us to a thing, an object uh, of property, you know, called the black or the nigger, basically, you know, the human object. And that's something that's kind of the one of the original fantasies of the world that we've known over the last 500 years. And, and so, you know, if we can see it that way, I think, you know, we can think about how, okay, what are the fantasies that were built off of that fantasy? Um, like America, the concept of America as this, this land of open opportunity and things like that where you can come and reinvent yourself this is something Toni Morrison talks about in, in her really great, really slim book called Playing in the Dark, Whiteness in the Literary Imagination, uh, one of my favorite of her books of all time, right? Um, she says that black, blackness was fundamental to white people's sense of themselves and to the idea of what an America would be for white people. So that's why, you know, that's why when we say all thought is black thought, black people are the ones who are able to look on this whole fantasy 
of America and see it as a fantasy. Talking about this wasn't no land of freedom because you brought, you brought us here and enslaved us to help clear it for you and to help, you know, build it up for you. So, you know, fuck this is, you know, we, we can see through the shit. And our thought is based on the knowledge that comes from being able to see through that shit. Whereas white people's thought is based on the fantasy of America. Wow. Ellis Island reinvention, all that stuff. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, uh, one of the things I like to, uh, also bring up right now, I think is the reason that, um, at least I think it's important that we talk about these ideas of, uh, libidinal economy, uh, how that relates to fantasy. It gives us a means to, uh, and a method to deconstruct what it is that we're dealing with. Uh, we, we need a way to really understand the illogical because a lot of what you see happening when you watch the absurdity of this behavior in these videos and the absurdity of uh, white people having to paint over Black Lives Matters and then the absurdity of having a 50-something-year-old white man saying there's no such thing as racism. Uh, they, they, they know uh, that that's logically not true. They yeah. know, they know as they engage in this behavior, uh, in a logical sense, in a factual sense, there's so much evidence that says this isn't true. But at the same time, for the la- like you say, for the last 500 years, we've been trying to point out how this happens. So there needs to be some sort of a way to understand how a human being that has the thinking capacity of a human being uh that's embodied in a you know that has the biological form of a white person how does how does someone that has intellectual capability keep on restating uh these fantastical notions like how in the world can they say that uh the you know, that there might be some question about whether what happened to George Floyd was murder or not. I've heard, uh, I've heard some, uh, some people on podcasts saying that, uh, I'm thinking of this, uh, I think it's Brett Weinstein saying that he wasn't sure if what we saw was murder. And so when he says that he's saying because of the legal category of what murder is, but you know, this, Murder is murder without the law. You know, immorality is immorality without the law. We don't need law to know something is wrong. And so if if he's constrained uh, and his imagination is constrained to the point of saying that uh, what we watched was uh, wasn't a murder and that it Mm -hmm. uh, and it wasn't. I don't think he's not saying that it wasn't immoral. So I'm not going to put that on him. But the fact sure. that the but the fact that he would try to say that you know there's some framework that says this is a murder is right. just you know it's the same sort of uh, rationalization and and fantasizing that yeah. allowed uh, people to write things about how great slavery was for the Africans. You yes. know, it's a complete yes. fantasy. You know, so we need a tool, and one of the tools that you can find in academe that's not necessarily accessible for people outside of the academy is you know the discourse around 
psychoanalysis. What's going on at the psychic level of people that allows them to develop these fantastical notions? And because we need a tool to really get at what is it that we're fighting against. We're not simply fighting. uh, I mean, a lot of people would say, yeah, well, white people are just racist. And they want to equate that to biological. But I can imagine that any group of people, including black people, can, in a way, be dominant to other black people that allows them to fantasize that way. This isn't strictly a pathology that's uh, for white people, but it is the the, uh, white fantasy that we labor under that kills us, right? And so... So the tool of psychoanalysis and the the tool of pulling apart the fantasy gives us a way to see what's happening now and also examine how those things replicate themselves uh, within the black community. You know, the way that the black middle class can separate itself from the black working class and the quote unquote underclass and allow these, uh, black middle class and upper middle class black people to pathologize other black people. You know, yes. we, we need a way to pull apart all that fantastical stuff that's going on that allows these things to keep on perpetuating themselves. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because this is what, this is one of the things that um, we really have to, uh, you know, make sure we understand uh, about what we're confronting, what we are trying to take down. We're not simply trying to stop the individual behavior of this or that particular Karen, right? This or that particular Chad. Exactly. That's, that's, not, that's not the end goal. Um, we are seeing them and we are reporting on them. Uh, they are so common. I mean, and, and what, what we mean, you know, when we talk about, you know, um, a Karen or a Chad is that, uh, you know, these are basically people who feel themselves deputized to be the police um, toward, especially black and brown people, black and black and indigenous people, um, right? Um, we're seeing what whiteness has gotten accustomed to doing, you know, uh, over the course of 500 years. When, when, when you know, um, they, a Karen or a Chad is just another name for white civilians undertaking policing functions on black bodies. Um, that's what that's what Karen and Chad are. They are, you know, non-governmental individuals or non-governmental organizations who are caught on video, you know, right, having right. A, basically a violent psychic reaction. You know, uh, they may only be dimly conscious of that reaction, you know, um, but but basically what they're we're seeing is their their individual senses of entitlement to police black people just roaring forward right and then you know uh you know and 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 saying things like basically i can call the slave patrols on you and nobody will doubt anything i say about you right there's they've been getting away with this kind of stuff for 500 years so it's, it's it's in them it's really deep in them to do this stuff so much that it's like they have they they would lose a sense of themselves if they couldn't do it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And so like you're saying, you know, 
the fact that it's not about the individual because if it, you know, if this was an individual problem, then there's yeah. a criminal justice system that deals with individual criminality, right? But right. what we're actually seeing when you see it uh, so uh, universally and so frequently, like anytime you want, you can go on social media and find a case of the Karen. And even yeah. though there's all these instances of the Karen being exposed, it hasn't stopped or prevented them from impulsively engaging in the behavior. So right. even though there's shame associated with it, the shame does not outweigh the impulse. And so then when we talk about the criminality of it, yes, it may right. be criminal, but there's also a systemic uh, aspect to what we're looking at. It's part of a system of thought and and ideas and fantasies about who is human and who's not, who's entitled to be respected, who's not, like we talked about in a previous podcast, who should yeah. be who should be honored and who's not entitled to basic honor or human dignity. This is this is yeah. what manifesting at least I think every time you see one of these Karen videos and that their impulse, their impulse is to gauge, engage in such uh, brutal behavior. And it's particularly interesting when you think about the way that uh, white women, white feminists would uh, represent their position as being oppressed and how they're not part of the patriarchy, but yet they will weaponize the patriarchy in a heartbeat if they feel like what they want and what they're entitled to is not given. I'm thinking of yeah. Anne and Amy. the fact, yeah, that black man was telling her uh, not to violate a space that she was actually violating, not to violate the law and violate his enjoyment of the space, upset her so much that she resorts to weaponizing her white femininity against a black man and leads her to saying, I'm going to call the police and say that a black man is assaulting me. That's, you know, that right there is the way that you see white femininity weaponized against black men. And it has a long tradition. And some of the more yeah. notable instances would be the case of Emmett Till and so many black men that were lynched in the South, you know, and the, yeah. and the, I mean, I said the South and the West, but in America is what I really should be saying, you know, because yeah, at the same yeah. time they're lynching uh, black people in the South, uh, there were plenty of black people that got lynched in Chicago because they got on the wrong side of a beach or, you know, uh, there's got lynched because they sat in the wrong place on a streetcar. So, yeah, it's really important that you know, these instances, their relationship to quote-unquote white pri privilege, also the ones that feel like they're not receiving all of their white privilege, yes. uh, you know, some of that white privilege is enough to kill me. At least right. at least that's the way they would have their fantasies work for them. So. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Because... Yeah, uh, go ahead. I'll, go ahead. Do, do people? Uh, do you think people? People understand white privilege by now, right? Yeah, it's really thrown around a lot. I mean, you know, there's a sort of a common notion of what it is. So, 
But if you want to, if you want to expand on it some, I think, I think white privilege sort of understates what it really is. Though. <laughs> Me too. Me yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I think it should be better understood as the power over life and death. You know, yes. <laughs> it's, yes. it's not just privilege. It's the power over my existence, my ability to eat, my ability to earn a living. All yep. of that is contained within uh, the ability of a white person to testify against me in any circumstance. Right. And right. You know, not just in the court system, but te- testify against my attitude in a job situation. You know, yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. if if mm-hmm. I'm if I'm working in a call center and they perceive my voice to be black, and they don't like the way I provide them customer service, uh, yep. they they will use their that power to make sure I lose my job, or at least yes. a, attempt to make me lose my job. You know, so right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. One of the things that I think we're, we're, we're talking about is that there is a structure that these individual white people and their psyches are a part of. Yes. Um, we, we, you know, we can think about, you know, U.S. global empire in terms of a network of bases all over these different countries, Camp Lemonier in Africa, you know, uh, um, you know, uh, Bamberg, Air, you know, the Air Force bases in Germany and you know, all these islands in the Pacific and Diego Garcia and all these, you know, we right. think about a network of power in that way, right, as a material thing. But I think, I wonder if people could also think about whiteness and white collective psyches as a network, um, right. a network in this sort of, you know, what we're calling libidinal economy, this, this, uh, this thing that connects people to one another based on their fears and fantasies um, and desires uh, more so than you know in any material connection. You know, uh, but the the fantasy of black people and you know to some extent uh, you know indigenous people uh, you know as threats that have to continuously be genocided and captured you know and removed and things like that, especially with indigenous peoples. You know. Um, genocided and removed, you know, uh, but genocided also and enslaved with, with black people, uh, you know, and of course, lots of black people are indigenous as well. You know, that that relation to the black body um, becomes something that without speaking, without saying a word, without, without sending international communiques saying we as white people should, you know, do this or do that together, you know, things like that. I'm not even saying any of that. There's no, you don't have to buy into any conspiracy theory to think in, the, in these terms, but there is a global network of psychic, you know, uh, identifications or, or people who are who are uh, feel themselves bound or bonded to one another in terms of anti-blackness, in terms yes. of fear of black bodies, um, a a strong desire to keep Africa away or keep Haiti away or keep you know whatever you know geographic space represents blackness away. And that connects all these different white people all over the world. So that this Karen manifesting a fear right here in Oakland, you know, 
is connected without ever having spoken to the one who did it in Central Park, without ever having you know, spoken, you know, to to uh, to the one who did it in, in Florida, you know, et cetera. You know, like they don't even have to speak to each other. They don't have to consciously acknowledge their connection to each other. But it is obviously there. And the Karen videos make it clear that it's there because all you're doing is you're replacing, you know, uh, one person whose name may be this or that. Maybe they're wearing this or that, you know, and you replace them with another. You know, yes, you don't. They don't even have to speak the same language, but that network that you're describing manifests itself in uh, in Europe or in uh, some colonial state uh, with a white French person, uh, you know, holding power over uh, their black subject and the ability to. Uh, identify their whiteness as a justification for murder is a historical fact that shows up, uh, you know, amongst white people that don't even speak the same. Uh, they don't have a universal language, just a universal set of feelings and fantasies. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, and the common feature in those is a distant or close relationship to the black body. They either want yeah. to keep us you know, really close so that they can fetishize us and fuck us and do all these things and have us all up in their business, right? The the the, the people who say, oh, I love, you know, Tom. I love, you know, uh, Sally. They're, they're part of the family, you know, and stuff like that, right? You know, right. they either want us really, really close uh, where they can control us and do what they want to with us or they want to keep us as far the Right, as if we're a pathogen. What I, what I think is important for people to remember is that the way that a society constructs, you know, where its ghettos are is very similar to the way that the psyche constructs the things that it wants to keep hidden and suppressed. You know, uh, right. the, the very existence of the ghetto, you know, is an act of violence against the people who live in the ghetto. Uh, and that's, that's because... That's because the community of white people wants to keep a certain place where they can go to to indulge their deepest, darkest fantasies, you know, right. and, then, and then extract themselves from it and feel completely separate from it. You know, like uh, I know this white boy who, uh, you know, found out that I was, I was taking a, a pharmaceutical. I've been prescribed a pharmaceutical, you know, and, and, um, and it was, uh, it was uh, something I didn't particularly need to take so I didn't I hadn't picked up the prescription. He said, Hey, I will pay you if you go pick that up so I can so I can, you know, I can get some, you know. And you know, you know, he said, I understand if you don't feel comfortable with it. I was like, Yeah, I, I don't. So, you know, and he's like, Oh, that's okay. I got my man in the TL that I'm gonna go to anyway to get it. You know, right. the tenderloin, which is a you know, um a lot of black people, people of color and a lot a lot of people uh with who struggle with addiction problems are there. So it's a it's a place and this was, the, yeah, the Tenderloin is located in San Francisco, I was going to say. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's in San Francisco, so, you know, the rich, white, you know, tech person can um, can do their job and do their thing and everything like that. And, and then at night, they can dip over into the Tenderloin 
to get their drug fixed, get their, you know, prostitution fixed, get whatever they want, right? You know, so yeah. it's there for you to indulge in, you know, right. but you keep it separate from you because it's like a pathogen. Like you said, it's something dirty and something infected that you want to keep away from you until you want to go get some and then you want to dip out again. Right. So you don't want to keep it completely away. You want to yeah. keep it within reach. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, one of the things that I found in earlier research is that there was uh, actually a uh, law written uh, around uh, city ordinances at various points. Uh, I believe the book was uh, the two researchers were Homer and Hawkins that wrote mm-hmm. about the way that they, uh, that city governments would write red light districts into the law. So they would allow basically vice districts to exist in black ghettos, right? Uh, the, and this is back in the 19, early 1900s, you know, uh, probably up until the late 1930s. Uh, where there were actually uh, city ordinances that designated certain neighborhoods as red light districts, prostitution districts, uh, you know, uh, illegal alcohol, speakeasies. All those things were designated to a certain area, which also happened to be the black neighborhood, right? And and so there's, you know, so it's sort of, it's a... it's a literal manifestation of the idea of what black is. And so there's a way that it was uh, cordoned off, put away in this particular space, but Mm -hmm. still there. And I, you know, when you think about the, when we, you know, if we're talking in terms of the psychic processes, first, uh, you know, primary, secondary processes. uh, I remember I read a quote by, um, Henry Louis Gates that described the American ghetto, which is the black ghetto. Uh, the American ghetto is the American id. And mm-hmm. for Freud, the id is the place where there is no repressive force on uh, the fantasies, on desire, or uh, impulses. So whatever, mm-hmm. if the id, the id within psycho analytic discourse is something that we develop processes to suppress because yeah. it is so unacceptable to uh, have those desires to be expressed openly. And yet it is part of, you know, what being human is, right? I mean, you, right. Look, at, you look at the social restriction on certain types of behaviors, the ways that you express yourself, uh, that that's what Freud said. The like you were describing earlier, the secondary processes, therefore, is either to apologize for that, or if it actually almost slips out, yeah. the secondary process is there to push it back down. You right. know, <laughs> mm-hmm. when you uh-huh. look at the when you look at the ghetto and the things that they allowed to go on in the quote unquote ghetto, it's something that they intentionally dumped into the spaces where black people lived because they didn't believe black people operated under the same sort of uh, notions of moral behavior. You know, that, that, uh, whatever, you know, we, we can do whatever to them because they don't care anyway. 
So if we want to go and molest their children, if we think all the women are available for prostitution, or if we think that all the men are available to use for our sexual satisfaction, it's, we want to keep that within proximity because we need that uh, psychic release. And that's what black people and, uh, and, you know, and throughout uh, colonial history, you can, there's plenty of documentation of the ways that uh, empire always kept those spaces available so that they can work off their tension. And it's just, you know, and you see that as part of what the Karens are doing is playing a role of a, you know, like there's a secondary process that you described, but they're also a force of repression of those uh, contagions and desires that they don't want out in the open in America because they fantasize us as being that thing that shouldn't be free. So Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I see. Okay. Another level of it, right? So, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying that there is a secondary process that comes in when they apologize for their impulsive uh, eruptions. But there's also, in a social sense, what I think I'm seeing is also their first impulse is to repress that black pathogen that has happened to slip into their space. Because yeah. so many of these videos are about. You see so many of these videos where it's like a white person telling a person of color that they shouldn't either be in that space, in that right. geography, or they shouldn't be doing what they're doing while they're in that geography, you know? Right. Mm -hmm. and, and, or even like what we talked about in the last episode, where we talked about the idea that that young man uh, got shot to death because his music was too loud. That yeah, Jordan Edwards. Yes, Jordan Edwards was experiencing that repressive force that white people see as their duty to repress any sort of a black expression in a white geography. There's there's a pair, there's two things happening at the same time. You know? So yes, yeah, yeah, yes. So that so their their primary impulse as you know people who are racialized as white who people who, who are allowed to occupy that structural position of whiteness their 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 primary impulse is to repress us for whatever reason and 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 um freud i think and and certainly you know uh, other other psychoanalytic thinkers said that that repression repression can often be a violently sadistic process yes so if yeah. you can if you can uh, make something your whipping boy you know, uh, right. you can you can work out all your aggression on that thing, you know. Right. Uh, and, and in fact, that was I think that was part of, you know, one of the ways that um, that Freud would say healing can take place, you know, from a from trauma or something is that you you go and you, you know, um, OK, you can't do it this way. There's repression, there's laws, there's other people to respect and things like that. You can't work out the issues that you have in these ways. So find acceptable ways of doing it like taking up painting or singing or, you know, or theater or this sort of, this sort of thing like that. You right. know, have right. another way of, of sublimating, you know, the, all that aggression onto other things, you know? Right. With, uh, with, with the Karens, what we are seeing is that abusing black people is part of white people's psychic wellness. Yeah. 
I think that's that's what you're really you're 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 really emphasizing it uh, when you when you uh, just when you, what, what you just said that they they want to keep it you know uh, uh, you know close by so right. they can you know do something to it uh, right. do something with it enjoy it in some way you know right. Right. that enjoyment is repressing just going in in and and just acting a fool and being violent and you know things like that you know. Uh, and and other times, you know, it might be you know cuddling that thing or holding it close or you know or uh, or or dating or marrying that thing, you know. But um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean you know, uh, when you when you when you mention that, just think about the sex tourism that goes on for white men and white women. Uh, yes. You know, the white women that go to places. Uh, you know, in the Black Caribbean and African countries where these older white women will go and I think they call them beach boys and have a beach boy with them for the whole time of their visit in whatever place it is, you know. Yeah. And, and no different than the white men that go to uh, uh, Thailand and various other countries and, you know, engage in sex tourism. Something that went on you know, above ground and in the open for a very long time until it sort of became increasingly aware that they were participating in pedophilia when they would go to those places, you know, yes. but it's, but it's been, you know, it's been common for centuries and there's literature about it. They documented how they did it, you know? Uh, so mm -hmm. it's, you know, so there's one hand that, you know, they hate it and it's repulsive, but the, on the other hand, they love it and they get, pleasure from it you know yeah. no different than the fact that the way that they you know speaking of punishing black people like uh thomas thistlewood they wrote down all the ridiculously uh i don't even know the words to describe what thistlewood did to mm -hmm. to his slaves you know the fact and, and the fact that he do documented all of it says a lot yeah. about what's going on in terms of a uh, psychological process. Yes. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And and that we we get we get all kind of glimpses of these of the the primary processes of whiteness from these you know a lot of this historical you know uh, literature and stuff like that are historical documents. I mean we could go all, on back to like 1492 you know uh, uh, when um you know or 1500 maybe it was when you know this dude Bartolome de las Casas was um, you know Tell, talking, you know, about the horrific things he saw the Spanish soldiers doing to the indigenous uh, Taino and Arawak of the Caribbean, uh, the people, yes. you know, just sadistic, sadistic things that they were doing to them. And then turn around, you know, maybe, uh, you know, a couple hundred years later and catch them doing the same damn sadistic type shit to black people who they've yes. enslaved because they've virtually, uh, you know, they've almost wiped out the indigenous, the, the original indigenous population, you know, like right. it looks the same. It looks so similar to what we see with the body camera footage and the, the footage of, of Karen's. They, they are uh, so accustomed to being able to approach a black body and do what they want to with it and to repress it and to fuck it and to do all these different things just because they have a fantasy that that's what they ought to be doing. Right. That's okay. I think that's part of the healing. Right. Cause I'm even like, it comes to mind right now 
this attitude toward wearing masks and the coronavirus sort of reflects yeah. on the way the disease got spread to uh, indigenous people uh, mm-hmm. throughout the Western Hemisphere. You know, the connection, be- you know, the connection between white people bringing disease and spreading disease. There mm-hmm. seems to be, you know, I'd have to fully develop the idea, but there seems to be some sort of a link between their uh, unwillingness to wear a mask to prevent the spread of the virus that they see as not, you know, almost as if it's beyond an entitlement, but sort of a uh, weaponizing of a virus and knowing that there's a possibility of their spreading it to people. But they, you know, the, the fact that it's been in the media so much that it's adversely and having a disproportionate effect on black and brown right. people right. makes me wonder, uh, makes me wonder aloud, uh, you know, if there's a way to interrogate how much of their fantasy says, well, it's only killing these niggers and Mexicans. And so yep. I'm going to keep my mask off. I'm not going right. to wear a mask, you know, uh, yep. no, no different than the way that they would uh, spread infection uh, to the people that they came in contact with when they, you know, when they came to the Americas or what we call the Americas. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. When, when you don't consider other people's lives to matter as much, you know, um, we, we, we see this, uh, all the time. It, it, It doesn't even take a conscious overt thing to say, I'm going to go attack them and spread disease to them. It's more like the absence of a positive. It's, it's, it's more, it's more like the, uh, it's, it's, it's not, sorry, it's not the absence of a positive is the presence of a negative is that yeah. I don't care. I don't care if I expose other people because, you know, let's be real about it. The people who are really doing, you know, really catching it and really getting the worst of it or, you know, don't look like me. So why should I care? Right. Right. That's the right. thing again, we mentioned in an earlier conversation that the black body doesn't uh, evoke an empathy. Right. You know? uh, exactly. So, even if you unconsciously get a sense from the media that black people are doing a disproportionate share of the dying, um, it doesn't matter that you could die as well. Now, because you think this disease is something more like a black disease, not all the way, not fully. I haven't heard anybody say all the way they think it's a black disease. We do know that there is that that awareness that, that, you know, if it were the opposite, if white people were doing a disproportionate share of the dying, these same people would it hyper seriously and we'll be vamping on black people hyper hard you know for not any any time we did not you know seem to be bowing down to 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 the to um to value white lives enough to you know do something as simple as wear a mask you know right and specifically the people that are so militant about not wearing a mask are trump supporters you know it's the people that wear the maga hat it's not, right. you know, it's, you know, I don't want to, I'm not going to be nonspecific. There is a segment of the white population that does so many of these things, right? And yeah. then there's the other part of the white population that calls themselves liberal that participates in some of this behavior as well. Like the Amy Cooper, who was a, you know, registered Democrat and a Hillary Clinton supporter, you know, and the right. same way that, Hillary Clinton at one point evoked the uh, 
fantasy of the super predator for political purposes. So there's a segment of that that of the white people that we're discussing right now that definitely sort of manifest a psychic uh, construct that is very very much anti-black, you know, yeah. and it's and and it's and you can. And it also helps to understand that this is not uh, something based on any sort of logical reasoning because there's plenty of white people that do the opposite as well, that think right. this through and make the opposite argument to that. So it's not like this is just an assumed fact that these people are engaged in, but it's the their adherence and their sort of uh, inherent desire for white supremacy. And there, you know, the Amy Cooper in the Central Park and the mega, a MAGA hat wearer who says, I'm not wearing a mask. And you watch them and they get so agitated and aggravated and, you know, start shouting about how they don't have to wear a mask. You know, I saw a video of this white woman in a, uh, uh, a Home Depot saying that uh, she didn't have to wear a mask because she was a white woman. And, she, you know, and, and she was a superior white woman. Like, this stuff is just not coming out of nowhere, right? These yeah. sort of eruptions are the white id, you know, erupting and not being repressed because it didn't have to be repressed for 500 years. You know, it yeah. wasn't, you know, 1940s and 50s was not that long ago where a white person could say that and not get challenged on it, you know? Yes, yes. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> You know, even even the even the nineteen eighties was not that long ago, and you yeah. could go back and sort of challenge some of the things that, uh, or nineteen nineties that Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton said that makes them completely quote unquote deplorable now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, that, that that um that makes complete sense, man. And I mean, they uh, you know, yeah. The, the I think the the connection between white liberal and white conservative uh, is you know the the kind of binding network of whiteness. Um, yeah, that root system uh, to the tree. Yeah. Yes. The, the root system. Root, yeah, the tree is white supremacy, but there's a underneath that there's a network of roots that you point to that are just clearly allowing it to maybe be dormant for a while but it will reemerge unless yes. the system is destroyed you know yeah and like and like we said they've been used to doing it for so long in so many different ways i mean just the one right. we talked about in this conversation um you know the ways they genocided indigenous people when they first got here, the ways they enslaved black people and genocided black people too. You know, if we look at the African continent, of course, you know. Um, right. And, uh, up, up to the current moment of what's happening right. on the African continent, you know. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Continuing. Continuing yeah. on on the international scale and a local yes. scale and down to the interpersonal scale, you know, yes. how, uh, and, you know, uh, how they, you know, uh, few things, and they just get used to doing it in in all those ways. You know, and they, they get used to the like you're saying the very geography, the way the geography is designed is, is right. 
on the premise that black life doesn't matter because they concentrate people in the ghetto with no jobs, with no access to the necessary resources or, or, or infrastructure or education or all these different things. Can Flint, Flint still can't get water. Flint still yeah. can't get water. Even, you know? even though they had two big uh, payments of trillions of dollars, which would have been unheard of before coronavirus, they gave trillions of dollars to all of these multimillionaires and billionaires and corporations, but they can't take enough money to fix a water system in a place where they know there's lead in the water. That, that just, yes. it's so yeah. obvious what's happened, you know. It is so obvious. And, and yeah. you know, it goes on, um, you know, even when we, uh, you know, like, okay, what I'm saying, you know, in the, in the opening statement is, you know, this thing called the Karen video. It, it, right. it's, suddenly, it's, it's like suddenly turning on the lights. It's right. like you suddenly turn on the lights and you see all, right. all those rats and roaches, all those yeah. motherfuckers before they scamper right. away, right? But right. that's also kind of a bad analogy because, you know, the, the truth of it is, <laughs> even <laughs> when you turn on the lights, it's going on in 90% of the rest of the house. Yes, so, yes, exactly, they, yeah. They're, they're still, you know, it's still working. It's just that we're seeing, you know, what one, you know, little example of it that is you know embarrassing you know to to uh to these white people you know um right and like, and i think the example of flint sort of yeah. sort, of, sort of gives us a situation where you can see uh yeah. you know the uh the value or the sort of meaning of blackness reflected in other black leadership so that yeah. the elected leadership obama administration black people in congress they have there should have been they should have been tearing down uh congress to get money sent to flint to change the water system they, yep. they i mean how much more central can something be than water right. and yet and yet they would pretend like the water was all right obama yeah i remember you and i have talked about it. you've talked to me before about the way obama pretended to sip the water in Flint, you know, yes. knowing full well that he wouldn't drink that water. And Michael yet... Moore shows it in one of his movies. Yes, and yet uh, we're supposed to believe that the quote-unquote uh, elected leaders really care about Black people. Right. You know, the, the, right. The, the psychic dimensions of their, of what Blackness means to them is reflected in the fact that Flint can't exist, and at the same time, uh, immediately when corporations need, when Boeing Corporation can get billions of dollars, even though they're making planes that they know kill people, and yeah. they still get billions of dollars, but yes. yet they can't send enough, they can't have an emergency situation come and fix the water system for an entire city, an entire population of people, because primarily it's a black city, you know, yeah. the the governor of the state uh, tells a lie about, you know, they knew all that time what was wrong with the water and they haven't done anything about it yet. You know, right. it's, mm -hmm. God, it's ridiculous. It makes you inarticulate when you start to talk about it. You start just, you know, you, you start having your own sort of uh, uh, mirrored, Karen reaction, you know, you, you just start, yeah, yeah. You get 
get agitated and you just want to just go off because you know it's so ridiculous, you know? Yes, yes. <laughs> and it's so blatant. It's so yes. blatant. It's yes. like people are sitting there, um, you know, it's, it's, like, it's like basically you turn on the lights and there's one fat-ass rat still on the middle of the fucking kitchen table looking yes. at you. What the fuck do yes. you know about it? You know? Yeah, you come on, motherfucker, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's how I feel when when we see we have these glaringly obvious things like Flint, yes. Texas. Yes. You know, there's so yeah. many other cities in the in the United States where that well, that's the truth. You know, and and, and yeah. in every virtually in every you know ghetto, there's some kind of environmental toxin that goes along yes. with it. The the construction yeah. companies and environmental you know like um like uh, hazard uh, abatement companies like you know asbestos right. abatement companies they know they can drive over into this area of uh, black neighborhoods and dump their toxic shit yeah. out in the open yeah. for kids to play on. They, they know that yeah. they can get away. Contractors know they can get away with doing lower quality work, you know, yeah. in, in certain black uh, ghetto communities, you know, yes. yeah. it's so glaringly obvious, you know, yeah. uh, that it, it's almost surprising to me that the Karen videos are having any effect because it's like, well, this is the same, basically, this is one individual um, showing the same attitude toward another black individual that the entire city of San Francisco shows toward Hunter's Point. Yes, shows toward, exactly. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, uh, like, uh, you know, or the way, or what East Oakland, you know, the, the way that East Oakland is positioned, you know, uh, in, in Oakland, you know, like yeah. people are showing you the truth all over the place if you know how to look at what you're seeing. And that's why I think yeah. you're right. That psychoanalysis is one of those tools that we can use to see what is glaringly obvious, but also see below the surface. Right. Because even, even just saying East Oakland, if you're talking to someone that lives in the Bay area and lives yeah. in the East Bay region, East Oakland has its own significance. You know what yeah. that means. You know, you might not know what East Oakland means if you're from Providence, Rhode Island. But you right. do know what South Providence means if you're from Providence, Rhode Island. You know, yeah. there's, <laughs> there's those designations that have their own meaning within people's geography. And that means, you know, black, ghetto, we don't care about those people. A whole, you know, however many thousands or hundreds of thousands of people that live in those spaces are pathologized simply by the name of the region, even, you know. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it would be almost like if you could uh, you could substitute it for East Oakland, South Providence, Hunter's Point, right? It's where yeah. the, where everything bad is part of what that space is. All yeah. the things need to be repressed, you know. You know, but why we see these, a lot of these companies you know, um, that are uh, using Black Lives Matter as a corporate branding thing now, you know, right. and, and, um, and then within days of them doing that, uh, black employees or formal em or former employees, you know, start saying, um, this company has been racist as fuck. I don't know what yeah. they're talking about Black Lives Matter because they didn't want my Black Lives to Matter I when they did this and that and this to me. Right. Like, I'm wondering right now when you, when you bring that up, I wonder if Chevron is using that term, you know, or saying that they support Black Lives Matter. Because uh, if they're saying that, I'm thinking about North Richmond right now. 
you know, yeah. and how many decades have they had people having to shelter in place to avoid the chemical dumps that come from Chevron almost on a, you know, at least once a year, probably more times than that, probably multiple times a year that there's a chemical leak that comes out and just affects that whole black community right there, you know? It's, yeah. <laughs> yet, I, yet I wouldn't be surprised if Chevron isn't saying, yes, we support Black Lives Matter right now. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. Or all the companies that do that do business in Cancer Alley in Louisiana or yes. um, the, the Smithfield Bacon, um, you, know, uh, uh, you know, hog farms in uh, eastern North Carolina where they yeah. uh, they collect the hog uh, the hog shit in these big ass lagoons and then yeah. they and then they hook up a sprinkler to it and just lagoon shit water into the air into the surrounding black communities. Yes, yes. Same exactly. thing. Same thing. Different yeah. locations, but that's that's how we know there is a structure at work. You know. Um, right. You know, and so we, you know, when you turn the lights on on that structure and force people to see themselves uh, as uh, as members of that structure, sometimes they can't handle it, you know, and uh, and, and they start having all kind of weird reactions, you know. Right, but, right. You know, the, the problem, you know, is that I think the Karen video is a, is a good strategy. I think I think it's great that people are doing this, and I think it's great that people are capturing this and speaking these truths and using these things to get real, real consequences on the white people who are doing it. Right. Um, the problem is white people are part of a structure that knows how to adapt. Yes. You know, yes. They didn't get to be committing all this genocide and shit against us, you know, over the last 500 years without having to adapt because right. we've found ways of resisting their shit, and when we resist without completely, you know, being able to affect a revolution, when we resist, uh, they're able to adjust. And that is, in a way, how they have had to keep evolving is, you know, they, the reason why we're in a different position now than we were in 500 years ago is because of our resistance. But the right. reason why we are still enslaved is because the structure that we're enslaved within is also able to shift in response to our resistance. Absolutely. I mean, there still wouldn't be Indian reservations and black ghettos if they weren't able to adapt and uh, use the law and the systems to do what they do. I mean, in some sense, we got to look at universities as the mechanism to further the uh, project of white supremacy more than anything else that it does. Okay. You know, I mean, the, the mm -hmm. function of public policy has never mm -hmm. been to really address inequality. You know, as long as mm -hmm. they're claiming that capitalism can fix problems that capitalism creates, they're not really mm -hmm. trying to change the system. You know, and, right. what's, and what's happening right now, they, they are in a moment where they're trying to, you know, like you can watch uh, commentators constantly saying that, yeah, black people have got a raw deal, but we can't take it too far. Like, what does yeah. that mean? You know, what does it mean? Right. Like, how, how could you take uh, redress too far when the whole foundation of the country is built on massive death and massive enslavement 
and math incarceration mm-hmm. in the current moment and then act that, you know, act as if people saying that this whole thing has to be undone and we need to start something different. How is that going too far? You know, right. you know, you, how could you tell, you could never tell Jewish people that it's going too far to say that Germany has to, as it was first formed, or as it was under the Third Reich, has to be destroyed. You could never yeah. say that reasonably. It would be right. an un- unreasonable assumption to think that holding on to anything that was related to the Third Reich would be acceptable. And, yeah. yet, and yet there's a huge debate that is considered a legitimate debate about holding on to, uh, quote-unquote, the the history of the South, you know, the Confederacy and all the rest of this. It's just so, so blatant, you know, or, Mm -hmm. or the harm that's been done through an economic system that just continues to get to a point that it's impossible to undo the inequality in it now. You know, when we're on the brink of individuals becoming trillionaires. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, yeah, and that, and they're not even making minor adjustments to it that says people should no. at least have enough to eat. They don't right. feel they don't they don't feel the need to make minor adjustments that says, uh, you know, yep, we're going to have to start uh, charging police with criminal charges when they violate the law. They're not yeah. you know they're fighting against that even you know at the yeah. most minor level. <clears throat> yeah. Mm-hmm. Just simply, simply our assertion that our lives matter enough so that this problem could be addressed. Simply the assertion of that causes massive crisis, yes. massive, you know, repressive response from white people. You know? Yeah, I mean, um, they call that black extremist thought. <laughs> yes, yes. You know, yes. me saying my life matters is an extremist thought. Right. That is so fucking ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, so 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 typical, so typical of America too. America, not just in terms of the United States of America, but all throughout the Americas, because the whole hemisphere was built up by black slavery and indigenous genocide. Yeah. So when black people say our lives matter, when indigenous people say our lives matter, you know, uh, just that statement, just that idea entering consciousness is like turning on the light. Yes. Because all of a sudden, these motherfuckers start acting a complete fool, start losing their minds, start yep. defending indefensible people. How are you going to defend Christopher Columbus? Right. <laughs> right. He, was, yeah. he genocided these, pe- you know, right. these people to such an extent that they, they ceased basically to exist. You know, right. uh, and, and he was and while he was genociding them, he was torturing them. He was allowing his men to have all kind of head chopping off contests and chopping off limbs and stuff like that. And how many can you shoot down? How many can you chop, you know, uh, with, with, with one swing? And, yes. and, and then he pimped the girls. He said he, he, he was quoted in a letter that he wrote in, in 50, uh, I believe it was 1500 or maybe it was 1498. Anyway, a letter that Christopher Columbus wrote, you know, he said basically that his men were going around pimping little girls and that at that moment, nine and 10 year old girls were in demand. That's, that's, that's basically a quote 
from Christopher Columbus from a letter that he wrote. How can you defend that? Right. How can you defend and how can you say that a person who and that that's not like that was like, oh, an incidental thing or something right. like that. that he, no, he, he created a whole network, a whole economy yes. of sex, of yes. forced sexual slavery and genocide among right. his among his men. And that, you know, that continued, that became a model that was replicated everywhere else in the Americas, uh, you know, with all these other different, uh, you know, conquistadors and, uh, and other, you know, you know, colonizers. It's been that, part of the colonizing process wherever colonization occurred, yeah. you know? I yeah. mean, including the way the Japanese uh, did that to Koreans, you know, and Chinese. Yes. You know, it's just part of the colonizing process and yet there's still people that talk about uh, the colonization of America and the American colonies in a positive way. And they still describe this place as being empty land, as if there weren't yes. people here. And, and you have to wonder on, as well, how is it with this sophisticated uh, media system and all of the fiction and nonfiction work that's created and published, that it's all the way up till 2020 that they're only barely beginning to scratch the surface on so much of this history. You know, it's, it's only in recent years that you see negative depictions of, of colonization. And, yeah. yet, and yet the documents, if you, know, if you research it, you find out that uh, there's been scholarly research that has retrieved the documents where they documented everything they did. No different yep. than Thomas Thistlewood documenting his torturous behavior uh, and treatment of slaves in the West Indies. He, yeah. he wrote it down, you know. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and, and the fact that, you know, you considered engaging in inappropriate behavior to describe in polite company the things that people like Thistlewood and Columbus did, you know. That, that, that's one of the uh, ways that that secondary process goes into effect, that you, you, you repress the historical facts. You know? it is, right. It's amazing. You know? It is. Yeah. It is. You, you repress those facts in order to create a different fantasy, which yeah. is kind of the, basically like the ego. The ego is a fantasy that we have of how we really are and, right. and how we present ourselves into the world. Right. So, uh, and, it, and it's composed of maybe parts of ourselves that are authentic, but polished up a little bit. And then yeah, it's like, it's composed it's like when I look in the mirror, and the only thing I can see are my biceps and my chest. I don't look. Yeah. <laughs> I don't look any lower. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Like damn, yes. Man, you look good. You know what? Like, <laughs> <laughs> You have to get that. You have to do that for functioning. Right. You know, right. We have to keep functioning as, as individuals, and that's how we keep ourselves going. But, um, but you know, there's nothing genocidal or repressive about um, you having big biceps and emphasizing that as a part of your physique. You right. Know? Right. Uh, but if I, but if I want to get the full benefit of health, I got to look at the rest and say, but, bro, you got to do this, this, and this, too. You know? Yes, <laughs> which, which is the problem for America, right? They don't want right. to look at their belly, you know? They, yeah. got, you know? they got the number one economy, or they did have it until now, right? 
And they, they have all this technology, sophisticated medical systems and everything, but they don't want to look at their belly. Like, what's happening, yes. you know, once you look down from the head, you know? Yes. Like, yeah, it's for the people that do the best. This place is great. But what about everybody mm-hmm. else that's, you know, way below the head, you know? Yes. <laughs> uh, yes. And it's, it's true. America does not want to do the work and, in fact, is invested in the opposite because yes. its whole sense of itself is premised on ignoring that belly, yes. you know, yes. ignoring the, the, the cellulite, ignoring the whatever parts you'd rather not see, you know. Right. Like, uh, they, the entire sense of self of America is very Hollywoodized. Yes. Um, and projected, you know, and it's, and it's, and it's, uh, it's seen in opposition to Black people, right. even though it also uses Black people. Right. You know, to present its image, the way the way they the U.S. sent uh, black jazz artists around the around the world, yeah, you know, yeah. uh, in the during the Cold War era, uh, the State Department actually paid for black jazz artists to go and play jazz in other countries to kind of promote this image of America. You know, yeah, I as think, a, I, think Dizzy, I think Dizzy Gillespie said that he quit doing it because of that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Because they were still lynching us back home. Right. Right. Yeah, and so and and that's you know, that's uh all, all of that speaks to a nation that is itself a white fantasy. Yep. You you took you know a white fantasy and plopped it down in the middle of indigenous country, right? And you brought uh people who you had genocided on the African continent and brought them over to help maintain the fantasy and actually to turn the fantasy into something profitable in a material sense, as well as in a, in a, in a, in a, uh, a fantasy sense, right? Right. You know, something for, for the pleasure and profit of white people. Uh, but all of the, the, the fantasy completely rejects and ignores the indigenous people who had to be genocided and removed and ignores right. the African black people who had to be genocided and enslaved. They can right. help build the fantasy, but they are not part of the fantasy. Not they right. are in, yeah. not of it. You know? Right, right. We're, we, then, are, then, we are the tools that, you know, shape the earth and uh, carved out the wealth, but we are not the beneficiaries of it at all, you know. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. 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 So, so, so when we see that repressive response, when we're present in places where we're not supposed to be present, or even if we're present where we're supposed to be present, you know, uh, where, where the white person, you know, has no reason to be bothering us because we've been in this neighborhood for 20 years. And right. if you don't, and, and why the fuck you got a problem with us now, you know, uh, that you call on the police when you know that's my son walking down the street or whatever, you know. Right, but, right. You know, they, they feel still that that need to police the belly to For emphasize the, four, the, the, the the part of themselves that they want to see which is they want to imagine that they're in a white utopia and therefore to repress the the belly or you know which is black people right which is, i mean just ask 
ask yeah. ask any black person how often they've been, you know, if they've experienced having white people tell them, "Can you hold the noise down?" You know. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> they don't want your 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 presence, your audio yeah. presence, there yes. to pollute their their pristine white fantasy space. You can be standing out on the sidewalk, and they'll walk out and say, "Could you hold the noise down?" You know, you're yeah. laughing, you're laughing too loud. You know, you can be in your own house and get yeah. messages about the amount of noise. You know, at a at a normal hour of the day, I'm not talking about two o'clock in the morning. I'm talking about two in the afternoon, and they will come and tell you you're making too much noise. You know, that is, and 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 it's and it's funny now that they're being now that they're being shown these videos of themselves doing this this type of stuff. They're like, oh my gosh, is that right. what we do? Right. You no, know, yeah. no, it can't be. I won't. I won't pay attention to it. And then another one comes out. No, yeah. this. But they. But this is only showing certain things about it. And then another one comes out. And then another one comes out. Another one comes out. And they're like, holy fuck. Yeah. You know? even, even as this is happening, there's a move afoot to to stop using the term Karen because it's considered racist. I saw uh, there was a woman on a white woman on. The Today Show, I don't remember the exact details of it, but, you know, she was saying that it's an offensive term to be calling white women Karen, you know, like, Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) you know, like you you were saying, you know, as soon as, as soon as uh, it comes to light, they adapt and they have another method. So all of a sudden, uh, the tool that we use to show them what they are is now being turned around and called a racist instrument, you know. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and then and there there are other adaptations too. Like uh, yeah. I know that the uh, the the Bart system uh, innovated uh, this technology for you know enabling people to um, report uh, you know without making it obvious that they're reporting on somebody who's uh, doing something on the on the Bart train. Right. It's just a it's a Bart app that you can that you can download that'll go straight to their um, you know the Bart police. Yes. And say there's somebody on, you know, this train, uh, you know, you take a picture if you want to take a picture or take some video if you want to take some picture, you know, video. But um, but uh, you don't have to engage with that person at all. And they may not be doing anything at all. And you can still get and you can still call the BART uh, police on them without actually having to uh, to 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 physically look like you're making the uh, like yeah, calling the police yourself, yeah, and it's yeah. all under the auspices of uh, public nuisance, right? Right, right, <laughs> yeah. right. So what so we what, do is always a yeah. nuisance, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and yet, yeah. and yet, we can live in communities. When I lived in Richmond, we had yeah. our house shot up one night at, uh, you know, literally shot up the television in my ex-wife and I's bedroom blew up at two o'clock in the morning you know I fell asleep watching it and all of a sudden the tv blows up and then you hear gunshot and then you can literally see uh bullets coming through the wall it took the police 30 minutes or 45 minutes to come to the house after we called 911 you know what I'm saying so, and that's because we lived in a predominantly black neighborhood, Parchester Village in Richmond. And, mm-hmm. you know, the, the whole idea. And then when they get there, they start interrogating my ex-wife about 
is it possible I'm involved in some criminal activity? You know, and at the time, I was probably the most squared up person you would have ever met. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> uh-huh. you know, really didn't know much about the world because I've been a sheltered uh, Jehovah Witness, you know, all of my life up to that point. So, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, okay, okay. Man, so they're asking the wrong person, man. I All I did was go to work and come home. But the fact that, you know, the 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 myth that the police are there for anything other than containing and suppressing you, it just yeah. falls apart on the, you know, in the, at any point when black people really start to examine it, you know, yeah. so, so not only do we need to be deconstructing the ways that the police function, but what's mm-hmm. under, what's the underlying function of the police. And I definitely mm-hmm. think that one of the tools to deconstruct and see that is looking at these mechanisms that go to work in the imaginary of, you know, the, the white body writ large, you know, the ways that the white collective fantasizes about black people. And, you know, like I said earlier, it's irrational because there are rational white people that see this and, and acknowledge it and criticize it themselves. You know, so. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's so. an irrational response. But that's what that's what that's mostly what fantasy is. Yes. And what fantasy does is it, it pays no regard to the fact, except insofar as the fact actually serves the fantasy. The yes. most important thing is, you know, whatever enjoyment comes from fearing something that you can then repress or yes. desiring something that you can incorporate or, you know, consume. You know? Yep. Um and 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 you know you you ignore the other parts of it that fuck with your fantasy that 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 like you said in the last uh, in in the previous conversation you know that fuck with your high yes you know <laughs> you can ignore those things you know right, right. <laughs> and, and 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 so you know and one of the ways that ignoring takes place is by repression yes you, you know repression in not just a psychic sense but the uh, the very deep political sense. The ways that uh, BART police, for example, vamp on black youths all the time at the BART station. Yeah. The ways that the police in, in, in various black you know communities uh, fuck black people up. In Brazil, they straight up shoot, just shoot on sight in black yeah. communities. Yeah. Things like that. You know? um, so uh, all of this is meant to repress, you know, uh, the, the feared object of black people, blackness, you know. And I, I don't care, you know, about the violence, you know, I mean, I, I care obviously about the, the violence, the interpersonal violence and intercommunal violence that happens within our communities. But we have to pay attention to the violence also that makes our communities those places where that can happen and not matter to the larger society. The way that the, the, that the police could allow that to happen to your house, to your home, right? You know, uh, can only happen when there's a community that does not matter. Yeah, and so it's, it's evidence of how much their only role is to repress us but not address the problems that we have to deal with. They have no yes. interest. So every time these people start talking about, well, why, don't, why doesn't Black Lives Matters address Black-on-Black violence? You know, they, Black people address it, but within the context of what is supposed to address that, the system of law enforcement and and governance 
we know that they don't care and they haven't attempted to address it. So what they're asking us to do is engage in extra legal behavior to address a problem that they don't want to address anyway. You know, and yes. then and then you're and then you're criminalized for that as well. So right. they put mm-hmm. this in a bind. We're in a double bind of all things being just more repression instead of ways of opening up and providing what every human and every being needs to thrive. You know, so yes, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. No, it's, <laughs> but but I think it's a good thing that we use these very instruments and ways of seeing things and right. and theorizing, which is an illicit act for a black person to do. We're not, so, yes, you know, the beast is not supposed to theorize. And yeah. yet, <laughs> you know, uh-huh. you, don't yeah. ask a, you don't ask a pit bull to explain what happened. You know? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And so, you know, it's the, uh, the fact that we are theorizing that's why we're saying that all thought is black thought because black people are explaining something that is only meant to be repressed, but not examined. So mm-hmm. <laughs> just want to yes, keep putting that out there, you know? <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, and we're right. positioned to see the truth of the way things really are, because we are always seeing the primary process. We're always yes. seeing the initial reaction that happens to black bodies over the last 500 years. We, we see that all the time right. because we're black bodies. We're positioned yes. to be seeing that and knowing that it's happening. And, yeah. you know, in certain rare moments, you know, when we, can, uh, when we can show the world that that's happening, you know, things can, you know, sometimes be shaken up in the white psyche. And I, I, think, yes. I think that's one of the things that, that Karen videos are doing now. Karen videos are an extension of black thought. Yes. You know, they, they yes. are a black angle on the problem of an anti-black society, which is that everywhere, at any time, all kinds of shit can come down on black people just because this one particular white person wanted to. And, yes. you know, we can, we can talk about white people as individuals and stuff like that, and we should to, you know, to a certain degree, but really what's more fundamental is the collective uh, force of, you know, white people, e- even of an individual white person. Yes. You know, yes. Just think of that individual white person in was it uh Tulia, Texas? Uh, yeah, that's fair. One individual police detective was able to get one third of the black population locked up on some bullshit. Crack, uh, crack cocaine hysteria allowed him to get all those people arrested and imprisoned, yes. and then and then he comes out. Some years later, after all the harm's done, and said he got an incentive, a financial incentive for doing it. You know, mm-hmm. we, yeah, we, we need to, uh, at some point, we'll bring that back up so we can cite the uh, information on so people can look it up for themselves. But on the other hand, yeah. I don't feel like we need to cite it and give the citation because that is what we always do. And it doesn't really matter where you have, whether you have the proof or not. It's been just yep. a function of how things work. And that shit happened over 20 years ago. That happened yep. probably 25 years ago by now, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And these people, yeah. and people their, their lives are still fucked up over that. Or the, yes. the, the, the Gina, Gina 6, you know? Yes, exactly. Um, you know, 
what just think of what that one black dude, that one brother, your one young brother who could have been um, you know, a football star. Yes, by this time he might have been made might have made millions, helped his family, did all sorts of things. Because what helped year his was whole community. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In some little small town in Louisiana. And then yeah. there and then, you know, the part that kills me too is the white supremacy that comes into play when people these the black leadership parachutes in and says, we're not going to condone violence, uh, but these boys were doing wrong. And what they were talking about is that one of the uh, white teenagers that was in conflict with these young black men, they took a shotgun from that young, that white teenager to protect themselves. And that was what they were calling violence on the part of the black kids, you know? Yeah. And wow. You know, that was one of the criticisms that Al Sharpton had of them is saying, we're not going to support violence. We're for nonviolence. Well, shit, if nonviolence means in the moment that you're being attacked, you just lay down and get killed, we could never be for that. That's not acceptable. No. Ever. You know, that's just never. not acceptable. No. Yeah, yeah. So. You know, I mean, th- these, are, these are the results. These whole incidents, are, which had major impacts, not just on the black individual that it happened to directly, but on their whole family, on their right. whole community, their whole network of support. You know, yeah. uh, just, just think about the impact of one individual loan officer, you know, yeah. who's able yeah. to deny thousands of black people uh, the benefits of, you know, equity building home loans or to right. give them, you know, if they do give us a loan, you know, give us really fucked up toxic, yeah, yeah. subprime yeah. toxic, you know, yeah. that actually end up, you know, in, in the long run, reducing our intergenerational wealth to nothing yeah that that, um these are things these are individuals who are able to have a structural impact because of how they are positioned you know institutionally you know just one little decision that they make they happen to have you know a particular thing you know that they were thinking about that day and a black person walks in the office and the 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 phobic response the fantasy you know of oh, this black person is going to try to move into a white neighborhood. I got to make sure, you know, something, whatever it is. I don't know what it is, but but it it happens so regularly. And, you know, people say, you know, you could change an individual's mind. You can change the world or whatever. Well, I think that's that's bullshit to a a large degree because, you know, because there is this thing called the structure. But when we are looking at the structure, it also also, helps us to pay attention to the fact that there are individuals who operate the structure and even if they could be replaced just as easily by somebody else, you know, it still comes down to an individual white person can have a structural impact on black people. Uh, and then and so, on the other yeah. hand, you have those, uh, you have these uh, white individuals that try to do the right thing. And like you're right. saying, the structure responds with eliminating them from the system. I forget mm-hmm. what I said, but just recently there was a, you know, since George Floyd, there's a, uh, there's uh, news reporting on this uh, sergeant at a police force, I think. I'm not sure if it was Arizona. I'm not sure exactly where it was at right now. But he, uh, they had suppressed this video for six months of this person being arrested. And they, uh, they were trying to find drugs on him. So they stopped him from breathing, you know, with the hope of making him cough it up. And they also shoved a baton down his throat. This the cop that uh, knew about it knew the video hadn't been circulating. He he went ahead 
and let that information out, and he got fired. He's no longer a policeman. You know, wow, so, this is a white person. Yeah, yeah, trying to do the right thing. You know, so the system yep. works. Mm-hmm. You know, despite the individual, the system is a system is always much more powerful than the individual. Anyway, you yes. know, yes. yeah. So, but uh, you know, but what underpins the system, the creation of laws and all that, is a psychic structure that imagines us to be something that's not human and not entitled to uh, what they think humans are due. You know, so. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, um, that sees us as, as less than human and, and yeah. operates on that assumption with the momentum of 500 years behind it. Yes, yes, exactly. Which yeah, means... Full running start. Yes, which means if, uh, you know, people are really talking about black liberation and changing the yes. system, they've, you know, they've got to dig the roots out. And that means you're going to disturb everything about how this works, because pretty much everything about the structure of this society works against us. And to undo that is, you know, a tremendous shift, like... Uh, a friend of mine said that a paradigm shift is a big thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And that same that same friend, I think, uh, <laughs> said, uh, said um, uh, we should study uh, the fantasies of white people because tomorrow they will be the law. Yes, thank you, Jared Sexton. <laughs> thank you, Jared Sexton. Yes, <laughs> Jared Sexton. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, I think uh, also, you know, like uh, you know, Frank Wilderson uh, with uh, you know his his writing about the way white people are deputized to function yeah. as the police, right? You know, even if they don't wear uniforms, even if they're not part of the the government. You know, yes. that in, in private, as private citizens, they are still deputized uh, as the police. He, he even uh, quoted um, a uh, um, historian who wrote a dissertation uh, in 1914 uh, called The Police Control of the Slave in South Carolina that basically said that uh, settlers, white settlers, uh, were all, you know, uh, you know, basically required from the earliest days of South Carolina to right. be, you know, to function as slave patrols. Yes. Um, and, uh, and said, uh, uh, quote, among the earliest of the colonial acts in 1686 is the one that gave any person, meaning any white person, the right to apprehend, properly chastise, and send home any slave who might be found off his master's plantation without a ticket. Uh, this plan was not altogether effective. And in 1690, it was made the duty of all persons, all white persons, under yeah. penalty of 40 shillings to arrest and chastise any slave out of his home plantation without a proper ticket. Uh, this plan of making it everybody's business to punish wandering slaves was, uh, you know, basically that, that was, that was what, that was how it was carried out. It, right. was, it became everybody's business. And um, Frank uh, Wilderson, uh, quoting that in his, um, you know, in his uh, book, Red, White, and Black, you know, uh, goes really nicely 
with these ideas of Jared Sexton that we're working with, um, you know, the idea that white fantasies become uh, laws. And right. this idea that, um, that the paradigms that empower white people and empower their white fantasies to shape whole societies, whole worlds, those yeah. paradigms are very big things. Yes. But very big things can be toppled. As long as you know where to hit the, <laughs> where to swing the sledgehammer. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's, That's right. Coming from an ex-carpenter. <laughs> you know, you got yes, to understand how the house was built if you want to take it down. And protect right. if you're trying to take it down safely, you know. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, and and to know that this is this is part of how they have been able to stay in power. You right. know, I mean, there's a lot of times um, we get we get psyched out a lot of times. I was talking with a young man a, a few weeks ago who was saying, you know, gosh, you know, maybe if white people have this much power, you know, um, maybe maybe it's because they're you know they're they're doing something right, you know, right, right, you know, you know that that kind of that kind of thinking. And this is a black person. This is a black young 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 right. person. Um, yeah. And what I told him is that, you know, if you want to believe that might is right, right. Uh, that can justify a whole bunch of things. And we already see the results of that. That's already right. what's going on, you know, inside, you know, the hood, basically, is that to a whole community who's told by the outside society that our lives don't matter, it's a lot right. easier than for, you know, our neighbor's life to not matter as much, right? Yes. But it's the radical energy of black resistance to say, my neighbor, my loved one matters and I matter and fuck these motherfuckers, you know, <laughs> how do we fight that? You know, because right. if we can look and see the ways that whiteness is constructed, no, they're not doing anything that I would teach anybody I I love to do right. to right. anybody. You know, yeah. I don't yeah. teach anybody I love to do this to, this kind of shit to anybody. I don't understand how the the McMichael's people who hunted down the father and son, you know, who with their neighbor right. hunted down Ahmaud Arbery. I don't see how that can be a bonding thing, you know. But but that's that's just me, you know. I'm 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 going to find a way, and I think black people in general, we find a way to uh, to resist that structure that uh, that that does that to us. And part of it starts with, like you're saying, analyzing. What are the parts that go into making it so this is the way things are, you know? Yes, um, yes exactly. And, and that includes getting down to, to the nitty-gritty of the uh, psychic fantasies that create a person like a Karen or like a Chad, you know? Um, or the, like the, the McMichaels in uh, Georgia, yeah, exactly. Yeah, or like the McMichaels in Georgia, yeah. yeah. What, what are the fantasies that create them and... How do those things have real tangible, you know, sort of underpinning? What are some of the things that we can, um, that we can, you know, uh, uh, hit or, right. you know, eliminate, you know, that would cause those structures to come tumbling down so that we can just get a fucking breath of air? Right. Because, yeah, exactly. Because uh, it is literally about our ability to breathe and it's also about our ability to see this paradigm for what it is you know if you want to you know if you think about a paradigm in terms of uh, a structure it's the 
you know, it's the superstructure of a high rise that won't come down with some, you know, some guy comes up with a sledgehammer and he's going to knock out, you know, uh, some of the concrete. You have to destroy the superstructure that allows everything else that stands within the context of that high rise, which is, you know, which is not something that can be done simply, you know, and it will right. be, and it has to be a destructive process to destroy what is imagined uh, with white supremacy. You, it, it can only be a destruct, destructive process, you know, yeah. because it's not going to mm -hmm. come down. Uh, it's not coming down with some gentle nudging, you know, no. this, this is, has to be a deliberate massive attack on, you know, the fundamental basis of what makes a person themselves, you know? So. Yes. Mm -hmm. What makes white people themselves? Yes. You know, what makes uh, America itself, you know? Right. And in the process of doing that, we, we have to think about what makes us ourselves because we have, in, you know, uh, digested so much of white supremacy that, we have to also understand the resistances that we have to destroying a structure that is this oppressive because we help reproduce some of that structure unconsciously as well. Yes, yes we do. Yeah. Yes, we do. Yeah. Things like colorism, things yes. like, uh, you know, anti-blackness within black people, you know. Yes. Um, class class you know, divisions, yes. Class position, yes. gender and sexuality and sex and things like that, you know. Yes. trans people and everything man we got you know so much about what's happened over the last 500 years right an apocalypse that uh yes. that that you know um that really you know there, there's there's a lot tied up together with anti-blackness because if you're going to create a whole group of people as as slaves or a whole group of people as people you can genocide um you know you have to do so in every way, at every level, at every turn, you know? And so yeah. it's gonna require a whole lot of rooting out. Right, because to do what they've done, they had to create a psychic framework that we depend on as well. Right. You know, a way that we imagine ourselves as well, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, and that's, you know, that destroying their paradigm also means looking at our own and destroying those parts that stop us from effectively uh, uniting against this destructive force. Right. Yeah. Right. And those things that, uh, that, that prevent us are deliberate, you know, they're, they're, they're built into the structure. Uh, yeah. They're one of the ways that it, it adapts is that it keeps surveilling us and it keeps repressing us. And he's learning how to make certain minor concessions to us and claiming that those concessions are big deals, you know, um, you know, there's even people who will tell you that the, you know, the, um, the, the very existence of, of uh, Karen videos, you know, uh, shows that, you know, white people can be held accountable and be forced to make, uh, make changes. Well, you know, that that's 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 something that like you know is tempting to smoke that particular crack pipe you know right right <laughs> um, and, and I, I don't want to encourage i don't want to discourage people 
you know, from from making these videos. But but I I really think we should be careful not to make too much of Chad and Karen videos, you know, and seeing these white people losing their jobs or having to move because of some doxing harassment that happens after they are held accountable for the racist right. shit they do, right? You know, yeah. white, white people's civilian complaints to the police are still, I would say, 99% effective at getting black and indigenous people locked up and, and murdered. And um, and the structures of the state, uh, the, the police and the courts, you know, are still designed to primarily listen to white people as, as credible witnesses. And, you know, when we see the, the Karen videos or the Chad videos and see people being held accountable, that's probably less than 1% of the time that these kind of um, complaints are, are happening. I, right. I, would, I would venture to guess. It's a minute portion of the ways that, you know, white people act on their unethical entitlements to call the police on us or try to police us themselves, you know? Um, right. I, I think it's, 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 a, it's, it's very rare that we have a camera running at just the right moment, at just the right angle to show what's going on and to right. show that that woman Crying and saying she's gonna she's gonna make up a story about us to the police, you know. And um and now I'm actually hearing that that dude um the dude who filmed uh, the Amy Cooper uh, video uh, his name is Christian Cooper no relation but um he's uh, I guess saying uh, in an article today in the New York Post um, July 8th in the New York Post um, that he's not going to help the prosecutor, the Manhattan prosecutor to prosecute Amy Cooper over, um, over false reporting to the police. She had been, you know, I guess just, you know, arrested on false reporting to the police a few right. days ago, but now the dude who she was victimizing, the black person who she was victimizing and saying she was going to call the police and tell him, tell, tell that he was being threatening to her when he obviously wasn't. Right. Um, he, he, uh, he is saying, I don't want to help she has already paid a steep price. Right, yeah. You know? Yeah, which, um, goes, which goes to, you know, the whole problem of black forgiveness. <laughs> yeah. No, no different than people were saying they forgave Dylan Roof after what he did. You yeah. Know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, We got you know, stuff that we have to, have to pull to the surface and examine, you know, before we can you know, before this can be a truly effective process and elimination, you know, because we, we're, you know, those sort of instances where we forgive something that shouldn't be forgiven is, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's part of the hindrance. Yeah, which, which it goes to show you that, that the ideology of forgiveness, like you're saying, gets implanted and emphasized in Black communities by yeah. these institutional structures called churches or, you know, you know, religious organizations, you know, that a lot of times are telling us, you know, forgiveness, forgiveness, forgiveness all the time, you know, and no matter what is done to you, you have to suffer meekly and, you know, and, and pray for those who despitefully use you and all these sorts of things, you know, right. um, that we need to see that as a technology that helps protect the racist structure, yes. you know, uh, that that yes. you know, uh, even after you've caught a Karen on video saying, "I'm basically saying I'm going to false report you to the police." Right. Now the who's holding that camera feels that twinge of Christian guilt or that twinge of whatever kind of guilt he was right. raised with. 
that says black people need to be forgiving. Black people have to forgive. You know, we have to forgive. Just blurts it out and does it, you know. Um, And so now, even though Karen videos represent a minute, minute portion of all the times that we get the police called on us and shit like that and get policed by white people, now there's one more Karen video that is going to basically not be useful in getting white people to have to pay an, a, a price of accountability for what they did. Right. Yeah, because uh, even though she may have lost her job and she might have went through some public humiliation, uh, the fact is that it might have opened her eyes to other opportunities that existed for her if she had a, not been forced to go into other avenues of making a living. She may yep. get she may become much more wealthy because she becomes an entrepreneur. You know, I mean, that's, that's always a possibility, you know, yes, so it's not, there's no guarantee that her loss is actual punishment for her. And you may see her at, uh, you know, 10 years from now saying, well, that moment helped me to realize a lot of things about myself and also led me on this path to become a billionaire because I started I started this business now. You know, yes. you know yes. like she, she may still be uh, saying something about being self-critical, but the problem is, is yeah, while she's being self-critical, she's all and the fact that she can be redeemed, you know, she'll go through some process that redeems her, and then all of a sudden she's filthy fucking rich, you know. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the like white redemption, you know. (laughs) Yeah, and it's not considered—it's not considered a bad enough sin to be unredeemable because obviously, uh, the black man that she tried to set up to be lynched uh, forgave her. So why can't you? You know, (laughs) right, right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So yeah, people people still get um, you know like. uh, I mean, like, you know, even police, you know, like Darren right. Wilson became a millionaire after he uh, killed, after he murdered um, Mike Brown, you know, right. um, Betty Shelby is getting hired, you know, like, first of all, she got hired by another police department pretty much right away after killing uh, Terrence Crutcher. Uh, she, she was a, a white woman uh, police officer in Tulsa, Oklahoma, who uh, shot down a brother named Terrence Crutcher, who was having what looked like some kind of psychotic, you know, or not psychotic, but I mean, some kind of mental health or maybe even being high, you know, episode uh, left his car by the roadside and was on camera and the helicopter hovering above him, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the, the pilot or the, the person focusing on Terrence Crutcher said, you know, oh, he looks like a big bad dude. And next thing you know, you know, right. Shelby, you know, the police officer shoots him down. You know, um, right, and he yeah. was unarmed. He was unarmed too, right? Yeah, unarmed yeah. dude. Yeah, yeah. yeah I didn't realize yeah. she got another job already. Yeah, she got another job in another department, and also she's being uh, hired as a consultant to come talk to uh, police officers about how to deal with these kind of cases when these cases are brought against you. In, right. In the, in you know, and. Uh, <laughs> So basically, uh, that's another adaptation, another adaptation right. that the structure is making to protect white entitlements to kill us. Right. I was watching, or not watching, rather. Uh, I was reading part of this article on The Intercept that talked about uh, uh, within the NYPD, 
uh, offices that had been accused and part of police brutality cases actually get promoted and they just go through a list of cases and go into the cases where the officers that were uh, involved in, you know, uh, brutality cases, part of the anti-crime unit in one instance, uh, broke a guy's hand in one case. Those off, one, some of those officers actually got promoted to higher levels within the department. So it's not even a, you know, there's not even a guarantee that, that you know, the uh, wow. criminal or the, I don't want to say criminal, it's not a criminal conviction, but, you know, a bad mark on you as an officer will prevent you from uh, being promoted within the same department that you yeah. did the harm in. So Yes. Yeah. And that's how you get, you know, um, Basically, you know, armed, roving gangs, you know, right. uh, consisting of white men, you know, uh, and uh, who are known as the police, right. you know, wandering around executing and torturing black people at will. You know, right. They're completely free. They're completely loosed off the chain to, you know, to enact their their fantasies. It, it, it kind of makes you wonder if um, this is, uh, you know, what we're really seeing when we see the Karen videos and the Chad videos, um, we're seeing what uh, whiteness is without a police uniform on, without the, without the, legitima the legitimation of a badge. Right, so, exactly. Uh, this is what it looks like, you know, underneath. Uh, you know, we get to see how they fucking melt down and how they immediately assume threat, <laughs> threat, threat when a, bl a black person is present and like, immediately assume like the cop that, like the cop that was crying about her egg being muffin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, yeah. The the psychic space of a uh, of the police department, you know, is something that really should be investigated because it, yes. it says so much about the bigger psychic space that is America. You know, the fact that they can have within the LA uh, Sheriff's Department have a white supremacist gang that was recognized, had tattoos, all of that just get dismissed as a misunderstanding. Tells you a lot, you know. Right. So, yeah. And there's so many of these accounts that you can layer on layer on layer on layer that, you know, understanding this in a systemic sense and at the level of the imagination is very, very important. Yes. It's, yes. Understanding yeah. it at that level, because that is actually a structure that we need to figure out a way to attack. And, yes. um, you know, the Karen video is one way of, uh, you know, attacking that, but we have to have not just symbolic ways, but also right. ways that have the ability to exact material consequences against, um, you know, the white structural position and the kind of uh, global apparatus that holds that position for white people. Yeah, because otherwise, if there isn't a consequence, 
whoever changes without consequence. I mean, part of the part of the reason that you do things about your health is because there's a consequence to bad health. And so you change the way you eat, you change the amount of exercise you get because you don't Mm -hmm. want your body to prematurely deteriorate. At least if you have any sense, you're doing those things because you can look and see what happens to the bodies that don't try to do something for themselves. And yet, mm-hmm. you know, we understand that on that level, but as a body politic, there seems to be a lack of understanding that the only way that these things change is by there being a consequence to these inappropriate actions. But the problem is, is that they're really not inappropriate within the imaginary of the people who do them. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and and I don't I don't get it, man. I I really don't get it. I I don't like. I do not understand how uh, our lives can be weighed in any way against you know the value of property. You know, right. I I don't understand how you can even say, well, you know, on the one hand, black people's lives. On the other hand, you know, uh, targets windows. Mm, you know, uh, you know. I don't know. You know, like I do not get how people can do that, except to understand whiteness as a psychic structure to be something that is fundamentally sadistic, fundamentally does right. not care what hurts and feels no need to be accountable to or acknowledge another human presence when they interact right. with a black body. I, I, I just, I don't understand any other way that you can particularly, you know. Uh, see what exactly is the type of psychic structure that whiteness, you know, um, uh, is is uh, enacted to enacted through and bolstered by, you know. Yeah, it, it, and the and the ways that people in certain and the ways that people in certain class positions ingest that thinking as well, you yes. know. Yeah, so it's you know it's 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 starting from a white supremacy place. But it's also uh, echoed from a class position amongst Black people and Native people and all these people that uh, may have a particular skin color but have an identification with the power structure, the white supremacist power structure. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, which gives you even, you know, which makes it more difficult because they use that Black face as a as someone that they put out there a lot to make you uh to criticize what we're saying right now that the majority of black people recognize as being a problem they they can pull up you know at any point a range of black people that agree with the system and the structure as it is and Mm -hmm elevate those voices above all other voices and give them platforms that uh, other people would never get access to, you know, so they can perpetuate the fantasy, you know, the white fantasy yeah. of what America should and is to them, you know. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, you know, and I really don't get it when they do it. I really don't yeah. get it when, uh, <laughs> When Herman Cain, you know, or oh my God. you know, or Clarence Thomas, or uh, Gene Lowry says that black people are being hysterical 
about race. You know, I really don't get that. I don't get why they're going to call this hysteria when this when this bullshit has been going on as long as it's been going. You know. So. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you talk, that's the, the reason I know there's some bullshit and there's some like, I mean, whatever conservative beliefs black people might have, there's never enough, never enough to uh, of of a uh, you know an identification to bind us to uh, people who basically see themselves as our our betters, our masters. Right. You know, right. You, you have you have to do some kind of psychic gymnastics. Yes. To be black conservative, to be able to identify with people who are saying that they do, they really don't see you as human. I don't understand right. how Candace Owens sleeps at night. Right. Right. You know. Yeah, it um, couldn't be that much money in the world. <laughs> no, 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 you know? Yeah, yeah. And, um, and I, I can only imagine she's going to have a day of reckoning with, you know, realizing what she is being used as and how she's being positioned. I hope that other black conservatives, you know, um, have a similar kind of reckoning, um, you know. Yeah, and then sometimes they have that moment where the police does them that way. And they still come back to that, right? You know? <laughs> hey, white supremacy is a hell of a drug. Yes, it is, man. That crack, that, that's the purest crack. <laughs> that's the purest, 99.9% pure version that they get, you know? <laughs> Fuck you up. Yeah, man. I'm, I'm scared of it, man. I'm really scared of it. I don't want it to get yeah. to me. You know, it's like, they say that yeah. fentanyl, you have to wear gloves and everything, even to handle it. It's such a potent drug, right? But this uh, this fantasy that we're talking about right now, oh man, I, you know, I think I need to, <laughs> I need to put on a a, a contaminant a biohazard suit just to even yeah hazmat suit, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because man, apparently. Very, very potent, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> you know, I mean that there's, there's something there's something that they're getting out of it, um, being sidled up that close to obvious white supremacists. Right. I, you know, I, yeah. I never knew how you know Omarosa could last as long as she did right. in the White House, except right. that she has to have ingested large amounts of self-hate. Yes. You know? yeah, and exactly. I, that wouldn't be a surprise. That wouldn't be a surprise. Yeah. Even though she's been to black colleges and everything like that, you know, right. I had a wonderful experience at the black college I went to, but I right. also heard people say some bullshit. I know that it was every bit as anti-black an environment as any other place where black people are at, you know? Well, we, we um, definitely ingested that crack in so many circumstances. I mean, we're going we're gonna to have to do a whole sort of discussion about the the opposing side of black self-hatred to this uh, psychic structure, the American psychic superstructure should be how we describe this because there's a whole nother side of the ways that black people hate each other too. Yeah. 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 So. Definitely needs to be like analyzed in a similar way because the way to get to where you can um, overcome something, you know, right. uh, is that you first have to diagnose it right. You'll never cure the disease if you don't diagnose what's really going on first. 
Right. That's why it appears that uh, <laughs> COVID is going to be here for a long time. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's, not, it's not even a question of diagnosis as much as uh, unwillingness to uh take the medicine you know so but Mm -hmm. yeah but that but that goes to you know uh the fantasy of white supremacy that thinks that uh everything will be all right as long as they get what they want you know even if it's killing yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. the the katrina mentality you know everything like that you know all all that stuff man yeah we need to we got to talk about that and the ways that that it affects black people and our views of ourselves and the way we treat ourselves, you know, right. um, all of that. Cause we can't, we can't really talk about psyches in isolation, you know, because right. they, the black psyche is very much related to this white psyche, even though we see through their bullshit, even right. though black right. thought is part of the, the, the fundamental assumptions that we operate on all day, every day, right. we still know black thought. I'm sure Clarence Thomas uh, you know, and Thomas Sowell and, you know, Gene Lowry and, you know, you know, Armstrong, uh, William Armstrong, yeah. yeah, Larry Elders and Candace Owens. I'm sure they all have black thought. In fact, I've heard a number of them have thought that, you know, you could articulate as black thought. In fact, there's even a black conservative who we quoted, you know, uh, in a previous uh, episode, um, Orlando Patterson, yeah. you know, yeah. We we quoted his work, you know, affirmatively. We we appreciate the yeah. work that he did, you know, for Black thought in slavery and social death because the ways that he defined slavery make it a lot more clear to us the ways in which we are still enslaved or still positioned as slaves. You know, right. right. At the same time as you can have Black thought, you know, um, you can also be thinking about ways that you're not going to be like all those other niggas. Right. You're going to, you know, you're going to make sure that you're taken care of. You know, I got to look out for myself. I can't be down with, you know, all this other stuff that they're doing, you know, because I want to get paid or I I don't want to be, you know, isolated or I don't want to be a victim of what these white people are capable of doing to us. So I'm just going to go and I'm going to make nice with them and I'm going to show them how I can serve them. And, And you can. Yes, exactly. You can show how you can serve them and you can analyze anti black racism but still have an anti-black structure of feelings you know (laughs) (laughs) you know so it's those those you know to be able to do both of those things aren't mutually exclusive and and some very intelligent people can also have some very stupid uh (laughs) assumptions and feelings that they walk around with all day you know so yes yes Yes, I think a good illustration of that that dynamic of, of both having the, you know, having, you know, an analysis of anti-blackness as being something dominant that you have to deal with, even though it's, an, it's unethical and fucked up, and at the same time trying to uh, uh, play uh, anti-blackness to get yourself, you know, get yourself somewhere, get yourself to, you know, uh, whatever, you know, get some money or get some, get some profile or whatever. A good example of that is I think, I think one of Spike Lee's best films, I know a lot of people don't agree, but uh, you know, and we'll have to talk about films, you know, at some point very soon. But I think Bamboozled, Bamboozled, Uh, uh, Damon Wayans character in that, uh, 
well-written to see somebody who is aware of the anti-Black structure, but he still thinks he can, he can be part of it and play it to, to get what he wants, you know, even though it's killing him on the internet. Yeah, he's engineering it. <laughs> In that role, yeah. he engineered it. Yeah, we should talk about that. Maybe, I, maybe I'll maybe i watch that again soon so we can talk about yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Simplifies that in that film for sure. Yeah, you know, yeah. And that's yeah. that's what happens when anti-black assumptions are so fundamental a part of the society is that black people grow up with those assumptions too, even right. though we also have a critical perspective on that. Yes, yes, you know? yeah. Because we can see a way to escape our current circumstances by assuming some of those practices. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I almost, I almost understand how right. black people are able to, 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 to sell out like that, you know. Right. Um, except that we know the result is you, you know, you might gain the world and lose your soul, as a, as a lot of Christians say, or you know that really you're selling out the collective well-being of all the black people who you know and all the black people who loved you. Right. And all the black people who survived and came before you, all the black people down the road from now who come after you, you know, you sell them out by making conditions worse, by cooperating, collaborating with a structure that right. is clearly against you as a black person in material and, you know, psychic ways. Yes. You know, that forcing you to do psychic violence to yourself as a black person and forcing yes. you to do material and psychic violence to other black people. You know? Yes, yes, yeah. It's really important to understand all the ways that violence impacts you. You know, there's like we talked about last week the epistemic violence, but what you're talking about is the psychic violence and the spiritual violence of participating in your own destruction. It's uh, yes, you know, it's it's almost like saying uh, that you're going to engage in self cannibalism. You're not going to eat someone else, but eat yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, it's such a painful thing to do and such a uh, repulsive thing to do but yet you see people do that so yeah yeah, yeah. well educated people doing things against their own self-interest and against the people that help them be able to survive into uh that point in their life yeah 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 yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But on, on another note, just like I said last time, you know, we may be living in hell, but I do like living. And so, yes, sir. <laughs> the alternative is far worse. Yes, yes. <laughs> you yes. know, because uh, to even be living in this current moment and to see the reactions uh, that have been going on to the George Floyd murder and all of the uh, sort of collective outrage is you know i never thought i'd see it in my lifetime you know so this is something different than ever has ever happened before on a global basis you know, so. yes sir yeah it's and hard to what make it possible yes exactly yeah it's hard to say what it's going to be in the end but there right. is a deep degree of pleasure that i feel just watching this evolve you know so yes sir yeah, yep. yeah. <laughs> but, uh, especially the younger generation coming up yes and, um you know, getting out there and, and, and uh, 
really, really showing that uh, they do not consent to the racial order of things where yes. you can just kill us for sport or you yeah. can just kill us because you say you felt afraid, but really you just felt like killing a nigger. You know, yeah. like yeah. Exactly. They, they are not down for that shit and they see the ways that it is connected to the total social order. It's not just the police. Right. It's the white right. civilians, the Karens who called the police in the first place on George Floyd or, or who, whoever, you know, uh, it might have been a, um, a Middle Eastern a, Karen. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that store owner said that they called about it and they're not going to call the police anymore because they think they can yeah. handle it better on their own, you know. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, get, I get how that could accidentally happen if you think that uh, there's fraud going on and you're trying to work within the law. There's nothing yeah. telling you uh, to not use the legal system unless you engage in some critical thought, some black thought about what the legal system is and what it does, right? You know, yeah. so, <laughs> mm -hmm. so it's really necessary to have people uh being challenged to think differently about how all of these things work and how they all work together. You know, this whole network of things that produces uh, the moment that we're in. Right. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, I think, and I think people are really thinking about it right now, which is a good thing. I think so. I think yeah. so too. And yeah. I think that, yeah. that, that they're being required to be accountable to black thought because of black thought being executed in the streets. Because yes. of black thought being carried out, you know, in terms of turning upside whole entire cities and, yes. and taking over whole regions of the city temporarily, you know, yes. and, yes. Uh, and saying that corporations, <clears throat> you might put a nice smiley face on things, but you are part of the problem. Right. You are part of the problem. And challenging, the whole, challenging the whole economic, political or political economy apparatus is being challenged. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, yeah. and then and also showing that black leaders are on notice. The traditional, you know, class of black leaders, you know, like the way that um where was it that they booed uh Jesse Jackson? Um oh, I don't might, might have been might have been in Ferguson back in Ferguson. Oh really? I yeah. I heard about it. I don't remember the exact uh, moment or how it happened. Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, showing, you know, um, uh, the ways that, uh, that, um, that, uh, that, you know, that we're, you know, putting, putting people on notice uh, that, uh, um, Sorry, I was I was I was just trying to look it up. Yeah, I think it was Ferguson. It was Ferguson <laughs> okay. where yeah. Jesse Jackson got got booed um, by the folks, uh, you know, in, in Ferguson. You know, uh, because people, you know, people do need to identify all these different areas of the of the structural apparatus of anti-blackness yes. that we're talking about. It right. is the police, and you do right. need to target the, the police. It is the yeah. media. You do need to target the media. It is the corporations. You do need to target the corporations. And it right. is black leaders who are deputized to function as police of our rage yes. in our communities. Yes. You know, knowing yes. what they know about what black life means in the society. Jesse Jackson grew up in South Carolina. He knows what the fuck black life means in America. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
lived in, lived into the Jim Crow South. Yep. Yep. Mama's uh, uh, ass drinking the water, uh, you know, drinking that fake glass of water in Flint, you know, in order to police our rage about the fact that we're being poisoned. You know, right. uh, you know, Obama knows. I don't care who who you know he was raised more by his white family. Man, that don't matter. You still know you black. Right. Yeah, and he's had his experiences, those moments where he came up against his blackness. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And what, yeah. which really means, you know, his psyche as a black person had to come in touch with something as a result, typically, of a Karen or a Chad policing him. Yes. Yep. You know, so and the, and your psyche. And that fantasy and imaginary. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So your psyche as a black man having to confront the fact that A, you're black, and B, that therefore being black, you can't be a man. You can't be a human in right. the eyes of the society that you're a part of. And how are you going to deal with that? That's right. The, uh, that's, 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 that's how we, that's where the, the ethical, you know, comes into it because we all got to deal with that. Fanon called it the fact of blackness or the lived experience of the black person for a reason. There, there's a there's a factuality to it. We're going to have to deal with it. Right. Uh, but the question is, where? what is the ethical direction? What is the ethical way to deal with it? If you look and see the longer trajectory of what your actions are as an individual, as a community member, as a leader, you know, who people look to and who's all over the media and stuff like that, what do you want the longer trajectory of your actions to be? And I, I think that's a question I... I I would love to pose to any of these black leaders, you know, so-called black leaders who say that we should cooperate with the system, say that we should try to be forgiving, say that we should um, make peace and right. only only protest nonviolently, you know, and things right. like that. Like, you know, I, I would love to say to them, what is the longer trajectory of what you're doing? What what labor are you performing and for whom are you performing? Right, right. Yeah, like I've heard people uh, talking now about truth and reconciliation in the United States. And I'm thinking like how ineffective that process was to actually bring what I imagined justice to be and typically what justice has meant in the Western world. You know, there's, you know, don't, don't come telling us, you know, more forgiveness and that truth and reconciliation and reconciliation occurs simply from truth. You know, there's a point that some some things have to have a consequence to them. And if there is no consequence, nothing's really changed. Like you and I were talking about that uh, that uh, thing that I showed you on Vice TV about the person that worked for the South African government. South Yep, yep. Yeah, that uh, was spreading that drug in the black community as a way to depoliticize the South African uh, liberation movement, right? That dude, after after Truth and Rel Reconciliation, he started a whole new career as a motivational speaker. Yeah. You know, yep. this, was, mm -hmm. this was a person that worked for the apartheid government uh, devising all sort of uh, chemical warfare methods to attack yeah. black people with, and yet he comes out fine as a motivational speaker. That's why I was saying earlier that whatever happens with Amy Cooper, you know, you know, all she has to do is uh, 
go through a redemptive process and she's yep. good to go all over again, you know. So Yep. His uh, name the South African dude's name was uh is Wouter Basson. And yeah. um he's uh you know and and you know, yeah, like you said, he he survived just fine, landed just fine for after poisoning people, after yes. infusing drugs into black communities that people are still still yes. hooked on. That's still a huge, huge problem in the townships yes. in South Africa. And, you know, and this dude, you know, has managed to, you know, oh, yes, yeah, sure, I'm sure he went through some dark times and some times when he was not feeling very supported and things like that. Compare that next to all the people he killed. Right. Right. And, and compare the inconvenience that Amy Cooper has experienced by being fired next to, you know, uh, what she meant to happen. To and, and knew how, who knows how many times she may have done it before. <laughs> it was so automatic for her. Yeah. It's so automatic for her. She just went right there. It's almost like it's an, an addiction. There's that crack cocaine again. Right, exactly. She was in that pipe again, and she knew the yeah. police hit it with her, and so she knew just the one to call. Yeah. You know, who wouldn't yeah. talk about her high. Uh, yeah. and, and, and that, that, you know, they do not suffer lasting. I, at least I don't, as far as I can tell, they don't suffer lasting impacts. And so accountability really cannot be maintained. And in fact, they, they benefit from it. Like you're, right. like you're saying, they, they actually benefit from the shit. So right. actually an incentive to do that, even if you also have to say, I'm sorry. And then, you know, and then act like you're really being, you know, harmed and inconvenienced to the point where even the black person who you were about to call the police on and subject him to all kinds of state terror or in, you know, in, in New York city jails, right. Even he is willing to forgive you because of how the programming works right? In, in the structure. And now yes. you know, next to the fact that you lost your job, nobody any longer is thinking of the fact that the man you were calling on the fact uh, the, the, the man you were calling the police on, could have lost his life right exactly yeah. and even getting lost his life you know just being in jail cost you economically he probably right. would have lost his job you know he would yep. have lost valuable time with his family and connection to them uh right. he would have uh lost you know the, the income that he produced as a member of a, a contributing member of a community of right. black people who maybe you know he would have supported or maybe he would have you know loaned money to, or maybe he would have, you know, other, in other ways, circulated money among black people, you know, um, there's fewer, you know, all, all the ways that him potentially being removed either by jail or by being killed by the police, you know, all those ways have to, you know, you, you, you can't, you can't look at that. You have to hide the fact that that is really what typically happens to black people. Right. Those are the things that typically happen to us. You know, but now all of a sudden, because, you know, oh, well, Amy Cooper's had her feelings hurt um, and white society, you know, constructs America as this this uh, this space that's for them and they're supposed to feel comfortable. So they, they even make Christian Cooper feel bad for making her feel uncomfortable, even though he would have been feeling more than uncomfortable on Rikers Island. Yeah. Who knows what kind of psychological damage would have been done to him that couldn't be undone even if he wasn't convicted in the end for what she was accusing him of. So, yeah, it's, yeah it runs deep. It really does run deep. 